0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: This podcast is a Royfield brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right.
3: Yeah, I know. In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. Today we speak to jazz singer and comedian Earl Oaken about Bossa Nova 78 and being a sex symbol. Britain's S.G. Lewis is a producer, songwriter and DJ with an emotive, atmospheric approach to dance oriented electronic-based music. Typical of his output is this track, Bourne. world where everything's going digital, why is it that vinyl is making a resurgence and why is it that some people are getting a little bit more specialist than that, people like you that are collecting 78s?
4: Strangely enough, I like digital and I love what I've got many of 10,000 or 78s on something called shellac. Mm -hmm. I never did like LPs very much because the records scratch too easily and then you can't find the track, they're a pain. I, I like digital because you can take old records and clean them up and get rid of all the crackle and hiss and uh-huh. hear the record the way it was 100 years ago before it got messed up by people. So I, I'm strange. I like the old... I've even got cylinders. I like really old recordings. What? And I like So how, digital. Can, you,
3: how can you find something much that will even play a cylinder disc anymore?
4: Oh, you can go to um, SAS auctions. I've got three different ones because it's a bit like having what I call Weetabix, you know, Betamax it should be, Um, (laughs) and and VHS. They had different formats of cylinders and one machine won't play the other one, so you need three different ones.
3: So where did your interest in 78s and kind of old recording formats start? Was that through your love of jazz and bossanova?
4: No, it was through what I listen to mainly, uh, not what I sing, but what I listen to, which is grand opera. Uh-huh. And I started that love when I was five or six years old, and my great uncle had a very small but wonderful oh, collection but Earl, of 78.
3: Sh- surely, 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 no five-year-old is into grand opera. That must have been pushed down your throat by, by your mother or something.
4: No, in actual fact, we had a Pakistani student staying with us, and he had a wind-up gramophone. Uh-huh. And there was a 1940s hit, a bit like, you know, when Pavarotti did on Dorma, and it, everybody bought that for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, there was another Puccini aria called Oh, My Beloved Father, sung by Joan Hammond in, uh, during the war. And it suddenly became a hit. And there's Pakistani students, and I heard this tune, and I just thought, wow. And then my great-uncle, who had heard Caruso in the flesh before World War I, when he was young, Played me his records of people like Caruso and Supervia and Shalyapin. And by the time I was six, I was absolutely potty and I made his life a misery because I've always lived near the Portobello Road and I'd get up at the crack of dawn on the Saturday, buy some the 78th, and then kidnap him and drag him to the turntable. And when we did, could discuss whether Gilly Caruso or Björling sang this particular aria better, must have driven him nearly mad. But I was only six, so he put up with it.
3: So <laughs> when you, so you started when you were age six. How many 78s do you have now?
4: I reckon about 10,000. I haven't counted them, but something like that. And of course, I do have also uh, jazz 78s. And also because my father was involved with what used to be called variety. And uh, I met somebody who was really an expert in old English musical before World War I. So I've also got a couple of shelves of, oh, variety and music hall artists.
3: So I think you've kind of put kind of opened the door into um, the way that you perform, because you're a very unique performer. You are a jazz singer, a bossa nova um, singer and a comedian. Is that, and you kind of mashed these kind of three things all up together. Is that is that kind of come out of the fact that your father introduced you into the world of, um, of entertainment? I'm sure
4: that had an effect on the comedy side of things. But, you know, I started performing in folk clubs, which were really misnamed places, because what they should have been called was acoustic music places, because some people did indeed do folk singing, but they were called the traddies. And people like me were called the entertainers. Mm -hmm. amongst the others that I knew back then was a very good banjo player who was part of a duo called the Humble Bums and he played good banjo but talked to make people laugh in between his name was and indeed is Billy Connolly so there are a lot of people doing a bit of humour mixed with music back in folk clubs and I'm really doing what I did then only instead of doing say traditional folk songs I will sing a jazz song or a bossa nova or maybe one of my own songs that I've written because was back then I was signed to the same company as the Beatles in the 60s. So, in fact, it's the 50th anniversary uh, this year when I made my first pop single at Abbey Road Studios. So, to me, it was just a song. You know, a song is a song is a song. The only difference was the rhythm and the choice of chords, but the procedure is exactly the same.
3: Okay, so for the uninitiated that don't know much about the world of jazz or bossa nova, um, explain the difference.
4: Oh, that, well, first of all, jazz, uh, bossa nova isn't jazz at all. Okay, um, jazz is—I think people know what jazz is—and I tend to sing the older jazz, the sort of jazz of Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, Peggy Lee, not the jazz of. You need a degree to understand it. I don't do that. Bossa nova is not jazz; it's jazz influenced, but it's actually a form of the Brazilian basic music, which is called samba. And so the rhythm is boom, 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 boom. That's the basic samba beat. And George Robertson was listening to a jazz record involving Julie London singing with Barney Kessel, and he liked the sort of cool jazz chords. And he asked himself the question, very crudely, I'm putting this. What would happen if we added these jazz, cool, modern jazz chords to samba? What would I get? And the answer turned out to be bossa nova.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: When you are creating a piece of music, when you're writing a song, where exactly do you start?
4: With me, the first thing to decide is the genre. Am I writing a pop song or am I writing a bossa nova? Am I writing a, a jazz song or a sort of rat pack type song that could have been Mm -hmm. sung by Frank Sinatra or, or is it you know something that's rock or a reggae song so what that does is tells me which rhythm to start playing in that's the first decision the next decision is you start playing chords in that rhythm and on purpose the only thing I do really consciously is I try to throw a spanner into the works in terms of the chord sequences that so suddenly I've changed key or thrown some weird chord into it. And what that does is it forces your melody to go around a weird corner and to go somewhere unexpectedly. And that's the key to writing original songs.
1: But that's and not that's
3: just that's not just the key to um, you writing original songs, it's also a key to your comedy then, isn't it? It's a non sequitur almost.
4: Uh, I don't think of it in that way because I I don't really think about why I'm doing comedy. I just say that what comes into my mind that day, writing comedy songs is a strange thing uh, because normally, as I said, the music is by far the most important thing in writing a song. You go through what I just said I do, right? Uh And then most of the time you sing along with it and what you sing is complete dross. And it's rather like I would say having a conveyor belt in a mine and you're watching all this earth and guns go by. But if you watch carefully, every now and then there'll be a glint and the trick is to pull that bit of gold off the conveyor belt before it goes into the rubbish bin. Uh, And then I have to write some words for it and usually I just go over there until some completely meaningless word pops into my head which fits those notes. And they go, I mean, on one occasion, the word was Africa. And I don't know what it, why Africa came into my head, but I then had to write a song with involving the word Africa. That's how I write lyrics as a rule. Now, when you write a comedy song, it's different because the music doesn't really matter. What you've got to do with a comedy song is think of some single joke.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: For instance, I did a wrong version of a wonderful old song called love is lovelier the second time around and i was at an airport uh, and my plane was late and i was waiting for my bags and for some reason they always know it's me and they keep my bag till the end (laughs) and that song was in my mind and the words came into my head there's that same green case the second time around so the title of that old song suddenly took on a whole new meaning and then all you have to do is write a whole load of jokes based on that basic single joke which is you're writing about something else
3: now mr Oaken, one thing um which there isn't a lot of humor about is having a lonely heart having a broken heart which means it's now time for you to tell me about... Never mind the kidneys. No, no, never mind those at all. Um, So you've got to tell me about Nina Kosich and uh, None But The Lonely Heart, what this piece of music means to you and why it's so special.
4: There's something about the juxtaposition of melodies and chords and a certain change of chord, which make you feel like crying. Uh, But the mixture of the notes over those chords is a tear jerking moment. It does it beautifully. Now, Nina Koshets was a Russian Jewish singer who was Rachmaninoff's girlfriend. I mean, she was really steeped in the music. Magnificent singer. And she understood the music of her own time. And remember, she really sings this song the way it should be written. Plus, she just sings the hell out of it. And even though this is recorded through a horn, onto shellac three years before there were microphones in the studio so the sound quality isn't exactly the best but it doesn't matter because the singing is magnificent
3: I'm glad that you said that she was singing into a horn because sonically—don't shoot me now, Mister Earl—but sonically, I must admit, I do struggle with those early recordings before anything was electronic.
4: The thing is, that's not only an acoustic recording, but it's on the Brunswick label, and they didn't record very well. I could play your recording from 1903 that sounds like they're standing in the room next to you. So it's not just uh, the fact that it was an acoustic recording. Uh, I have a recording on HMV with a soprano in 1903 that you can't believe that the woman isn't still alive. That's how vivid it sounds. The real difference between acoustic and electric recording is very much like black and white versus color photography. Mm-hmm. when you get a really beautiful black and white print it's it's wonderful to look at and everything's there except for one little aspect and you know what that is as soon as you colorize it oh there's there's no color so but there's a sort of epic quality about black and white photographs acoustic recordings are the direct sound equivalent of that but a really good quality uh, acoustic recording can sound wonderful
3: well you so evocatively painted the picture and and put you know I can I, I can hear it now that these recordings can be really beautiful. But you talked about
4: you have to also you have to sort of listen through it and you get when you listen to enough of them you begin to sort of that's the only way I can put it. You start listening through the sound mm-hmm. and you suddenly realise what the voice really sounded like. But that that one's particularly you you'll hear a very mushy sound in the background. That's not the good example, but it just happened to be, musically, the best version of that song that I know.
3: Just before we go, you have to tell us about your brand new CD. What's it called?
4: It's called Songs from Another Shed. Uh, My last one was called Songs from a Garden Shed because I thought, well, the Beatles called their CD Abbey Road and the CD LP back then. Uh, after their recording studio and indeed mine back then uh, and I thought well I'll name my CD after the place I'm recording in these days and it's a digital studio it used to be a back garden somewhere in North London Mm -hmm. uh, and that was why it was called Songs from the Garden Shed and then they moved out to Sussex and he's got another recording studio still in his back garden so this one's called songs from another shed but that's what that's what it means it doesn't mean anything else but that because that's where i recorded it
3: hello kin thank you for coming on to friday 15 and illuminating us about the world of 78 (laughs) recordings about jazz and over rhythms but just before we completely say goodbye to you um tell us where we can find your gramophone show
4: oh well, there's two things you can do. One is my own website where you can see clips of me performing and my gig list and all those sort of things that you might want to know. And that's simply earlokin.net, dot net. Then there's my podcast, which is now over a 100 shows. You can just Google Earl Okin's Gramophone Show. It'll take you there. And you can subscribe it's all free Uh, everything that I've recorded for the last god knows how many years now is still up there so if you like one you can listen to the others and you can share the link with your friends and discover the wonderful world of 78 I always clean the records up so I get rid of the crackle and the hiss so sometimes the, the if it works really well the sound is really quite good
3: perfect we've done it brilliant that was fantastic
4: Is that the whole thing, or did we do 15 minutes? I've lost track.
3: Uh, We did 26.
4: Oh, Oh, there you
0: go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today.
3: Teenage Kicks was the debut single of the Northern Irish punk band The Undertones. It was released in
0: 1978. Another girl in the neighborhood. Wish she was mad, She looks so good. i yeah.
3: The songwriter day Cole spans the genres of Afropop, Afrobeat and R&B. The track Iskaba features DJ Tunes. American soul R&B singer and songwriter. Best known for his work on the Stax record label in the 1960s, this is the soaring and epic Big Bird.
1: Open up the sky Open up the sky i I'm coming up to you I'm coming up to you
3: so Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Don't forget you can follow the show's progress on Facebook by simply typing in Friday 15. You can also find us on Twitter where you can follow me, where I'm at spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. Now, every Thursday, you can jump onto Twitter and tweet me and nominate a song for me to put into this week's Friday 15. iTunes reviews, folks, are extremely important. They're the lifeblood of any podcast. Please go onto iTunes and write us a, a glowing review. And don't forget, finally, you can email me at um, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D, at @gmail.com see you all again in 7 days time for more good music and great conversation
2: hey folks i'm mark Maron from the wtf podcast and this episode is brought to you by kleenex ultra soft tissues